Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, maybe just to start, sometimes we use words um, we use words so often that we kind of lose what the meaning of them is, and so maybe it's helpful to think, what, well, what, are, we, what are we doing here, right? Even the term sermon, like what is what is a sermon? I think what we're doing is we're just kind of um, we're coming with we're coming with everything that we are, right? And we're coming with our obviously our experience, and we're coming with our questions and our thoughts, and really we're we're bringing all those everything that we are. We're kind of bringing those things. We're bringing them to this particular text that we find in Scripture, right? And it'll be in Ecclesiastes today, and we kind of bring them to that text, and we say, God, would you um, would you would you meet us here? If you're real, and if you're really there, would you speak to us? And, um, uh, you know, so maybe, maybe you're in a place where you're, you're not sure if that's, a, if God's a reality, right? Or, um, and I think, I think that that would be kind of the way that we'd approach it. If you find yourself there, it's like, God, would you, if you are real, would you speak to me? Would, would you meet with me? And I think those of you that, um, that would find yourself maybe in a place where God has spoken to you, or you believe that he's real, right? And you kind of believe that you have this kind of relational thing. I think, I think it's similar. We come to the text kind of with everything that we are, and we say, God, would you speak to us? And would you show us what is right? Would you show us what is good? And we kind of show, we show up with open hands, right? And we say, God, please, um, would you, uh, would you, would you break through our pride? Would you, would you break through um, our hard-heartedness? Um, and we just, we kind of hold this all with open hands. And would you, would you speak to us? Anyway, so I think that's, so it's a sermon. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what it is. But I think our prayer is that, yeah, that God would meet with us, right? And, and I mean, and even though I'm at the front, I mean, my hope is, I hope that I can do that too, right? This is as much for me as it is for you. And, and we kind of like gather together and we're like together sitting here interacting with scripture saying, God, yeah, would you would you speak with us? Would you meet with us? Would you talk to us? Yeah. Okay, well, hey, so that's uh, that's kind of maybe a little bit of the attitude or at least how how I'm hoping that we can kind of come to this. And today we're going to be doing a little bit something a little bit different. So, um this is not going to be a main series. So, uh, for those of you who've been with us for a while, you know, we've kind of had series that's like, okay, well, here's a series that goes on for four or five weeks and then we'll move to another series. So, we thought we'd do something a little bit different. So, I'm going to begin a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and I'm really excited, and it's so great. But yeah, more coming. But So we're going to start that. But this isn't going to be a main series that we're going to kind of do over, you know, for, you know, eight sessions or however long. We could go a long time. But so we're not going to do that. This is rather we're going to kind of start this series today, then we're going to move into a main series, and then we are going to kind of maybe revisit this, maybe monthly, maybe a little bit longer. We'll kind of see, but we'll kind of come back and hit it over and, and over and over um, but yeah, so this will be a little bit, we're doing something a little bit differently here. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope you're ready. Oh man, Ecclesiastes. Uh, now some of you are going to be like, okay, well, uh, why? Right? And uh, well, it's been a little bit since we honed in on a specific biblical book. So we knew as a preaching team, we were like, okay, well, we want to do that. And we just know that that's something that's good. So we're like, okay, well, what should we pick? What should we do? And I'm like, well, guys, this is my... This is like my favorite book. Can we, can we please do this book, right? I'm like, it's complex. It's uh, not something that's often spoken on, unless you've been here and you've heard me speak on it before, I guess. But it's not something super common. And, and I think there's probably an element here where a lot of us probably, myself included, don't know a lot about this particular book. 
And I mean, if Scripture really is the Word of God, then it, then let's let's know the whole counsel of God, right? Let's not stay away from the parts that are like, um, that are hard or that are difficult or that are hard to see. I mean, as we seek and as we listen, and we've talked a lot about uh, a lot about that, right? This being a season where we're like, God, please speak to us, please uh, make yourself clear to us. And just as we're in this position of like you know, COVID and all this stuff is changing. Uh, as we seek and as we listen for God, let's just make sure that we take under advisement the whole counsel, right? Like, let's let's just be aware of the whole thing. Um, and we spent a lot of time in the New Testament recently, and that's, hey, I'm not, I'm not slamming any particular piece of scripture, right? But I'm just saying, let's make sure that we dive into the whole counsel. So those are some of the ideas probably behind choosing this. Now, so Ecclesiastes, uh, probably one of the weirdest the darkest and the most confusing books that you're going to come across in scripture. Uh, my, uh, my original slideshow was just all black. And I thought that that was nice and thematic and artistic. And uh, we had to increase the size of some of the lettering. But <laughs> weird, dark, confusing, confusing. A lot of scripture, what, it, what it's doing is it's weaving together this story of God kind of like, you know, we're far from God. We're far from relationship with God. And God is breaking in and inviting us into relationship and making it possible for us to be in relationship with him. And so a lot of scripture is doing that. Um, and it's kind of like extolling the virtues of that and telling about why that's a good thing and telling about how God is doing that. But Ecclesiastes, instead of focusing on the positives, is really kind of focusing on the opposite. It's kind of focusing on the weariness and it's focusing on the dreariness of life without God. Um, the Bible Project, a uh, shout out to them. They are, they are great. Yeah, yeah. Jake was pointing them out again this morning. I'm like, yes, they really are great. And they talk about this book, the voice of this book kind of being the voice of a critic. Uh, And it's a critic who's kind of poking at the things that maybe we take for granted. Or he's kind of unmasking things that maybe we don't see. Or he's kind of dispelling illusions of, of things that maybe we hold on to, right? Or he's kind of, he's popping, he's poking and he's kind of popping bubbles, And so things that we hold dearly and we hold tightly that maybe we shouldn't hold so tightly, he's kind of bringing this sharp criticism and is kind of poking away at these things. I mean, people will sometimes make a positive case, right? They're like, uh, you should um, buy into this pyramid scheme and let me tell you why that's a great idea. Here's all these things. And uh, I'm not comparing the gospel to a pyramid scheme. Don't hear that. But... People will, will, will tell, they'll tell you all the great things, right? They're like, buy this thing, this car. Let me tell you how good this car is. And Ecclesiastes is kind of doing the opposite, right? It's this deconstruction of so much of what we live for here. So much of what captures our heart. It's this deconstruction. It's this tearing apart. Um, and here in Ecclesiastes, we find highlighted kind of the meaninglessness of, of life without God. And that's kind of what's forefront and that's what's highlighted. So it's not necessarily extolling virtues, right? It's kind of, it's this sharp poking and it's this, let's talk about what life looks like uh, without God. Let's focus on the meaninglessness. Let's focus on the things that maybe we hold too tightly that need to be dispelled or that need to be let go. Okay, so there's there's a lot, okay? And there's a lot that we could talk about. Um, we could talk about kind of surrounding introduction stuff and background issues, and uh, I'm not going to do that. What we'll do is we're just going to, we're just going to dive into the text, and then as relevant background info stuff comes up, we'll kind of uh, tackle that 
kind of verse by verse, and we'll just hit that in real time. Okay, so well, let's uh, let's jump in, shall we? Um, so I'll read the text to you. If you're wanting to read along, it's Ecclesiastes one verses one to eleven. Here we go. Are you ready? The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labor at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. All right, you guys feeling pumped? Uh, Verse 1, it starts with this uh, superscription, right? It says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So maybe just first to note, so the Hebrew word for teacher here is, is koalet. And this is a little bit of a background thing. Um, but if you read commentaries or you're researching into this, you'll hear people call um, the speaker, they'll call him the teacher, they'll call him the preacher, they'll call him koalet, which literally means like someone who gathers an audience and then speaks to them. So just in case you come across that, so you'll hear people call that as like a proper noun. So koalet, the teacher, the speaker. Um, that's what they'll that's what they'll call him and and unlike uh, you know some other books in the bible so unlike proverbs unlike song of solomon we're never actually given a name for who it is who's speaking and then you'll come to this second part right this uh son of david king in jerusalem and so just the book as a whole and i'm not going to dive too much into this but there's different views about uh, what does this mean for who wrote the book Right? Is this the words of King Solomon? You know, you think wisdom, you, th- you think king, son of David, Solomon comes to mind, right? Is this another descendant of later kings? Uh, is this a later Israelite teacher who's using a Solomon-like persona in order to make points? Uh, well, I don't have the conclusive answer for you. I'll just tell you that the book doesn't tell us, and there's a lot of detail we could talk about. But I'm going to point to, um, well, who, I mean, this is still taken in scripture, whoever it is, who polished it, or whoever it is who wrote it, there's kind of a piece here that's like, well, I think in some sense the authorship is not particularly relevant, but we can talk about that more later if you want. I think what is important is that uh, there are two voices that very clearly come through in the book, okay? So there's the voice of the teacher, and the teacher is the one who does most of the speaking throughout the book, and then there's the voice of the author. So you have Coalette, you have the teacher, you have the preacher, and he's going to be doing a lot of the commentary on, so when you hear, this is meaningless, like we just read, that's, that's the teacher. He's doing a lot of the commentary on the futility and the meaninglessness of various things. 
Uh, he's doing a lot of deconstructing. He's doing a lot of the unmasking. He's doing a lot of the dispelling. And he's showing us the emptiness, right? He's the voice of the critic. And then you have the author. And the author is going to come in at various points in the book. I mean, you see him right here in verse 1. He introduces the preacher. He says the words of the teacher. This is He's introducing us to him. And then he's going to come in at different areas. And he's going to add clarification. Or he's going to highlight different pieces. Or he's going to say, or he's going to summarize different pieces. So that's something that we can watch for. And then together, these two voices together are going to take us through the book of Ecclesiastes, right? And, and as they do, they're going to hit some pretty dark, right? It's a dark book in some ways. So they're going to hit some dark and disturbing, harsh messages. I mean, what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about the great equalizer death that comes for us all. Um, they're going to talk about life's randomness and our inability to control the outcome. They're going to talk about the march of time that leaves us all and leads us all to the dust. And uh, just, I mean, the darkness of the book. Let me just hit this first right out of the gate. I mean, you might find yourself asking, like, I was kind of hoping for something hopeful and positive, you know, and like really nice and uplifting. And uh, thank you for that, Coalette. Meaningless, meaningless. But why is this, why is this in here? And why are we focusing on this? And I think just I just want to confront that head on first. And I think I want to say sometimes it's the things that make us the most uncomfortable that will do the most good in our lives. Um, let me just talk quickly. I mean, surgery, right, is something painful that undergoing it is not a pleasant experience, but it actually leads to greater health. Um, reflecting on our failures, um, the ways that we have hurt people. Um, the ways that we have fallen short, our, our sinfulness. Um, that's something painful. That's something that hurts, but that's something that actually allows us to change, right? That's something that actually allows us to be transformed. That's something that actually allows us to grow. And the result of that is actually positive, even though the experience of it is not. And so what I'm just saying quickly is let's not shy away from something just because it's uncomfortable. And I'm saying maybe like instead, let's uh, let's come into into this book, letting the author and letting the letting Coalette, let, letting them poke us and prod us in the areas that need to be poked and prodded um, where there are bubbles, where there are things. Let's kind of let them do that work. And so the questions and the wrestlings and the things that you're going to see, like let's let that have its work on us. And I guess I'm saying let's be willing to sacrifice even our comfort uh, and even our pride just in order to know what's true, in order to know what's real, in order to know what's good. Let's be willing to sacrifice those things because that's, that's what's highest, right? We want to know what's real. We want to know what's good. We want to know what's beautiful. We want to find that together. And then when we find that, we want to chase that with everything that we have. Okay, so there's two voices, right? The preacher and the author. And, and we're actually going to be introduced to their thesis statement uh, right in the next verse. And so this, this thesis statement is kind of this main theme that's going to echo throughout the book, okay? And uh, here it is. Verse 2 does not leave us in any doubt uh, to the teacher's ultimate conclusion. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so this phrase you find peppered throughout the whole book, right? Close to 40 times. And because of that, understanding what he means when he says this is going to be crucial to understanding, well, what is this book about? What is he even trying to say? And so as we try to understand what he means, there's this important key. And that key is going to be, what does he mean by meaningless? Or, or the Hebrew word is going to be havel. What does, 
hevel mean? And this is a word translated as futility or meaningless, and it means literally <sighs> merest breath. It means vapor, smoke. It, it signifies the uselessness of a thing or its transitory nature or its lack of substance. <sighs> merest breath. And just the meaning of this word and, and the fact that it's peppered throughout the book kind of brings us to this very important question. What does the teacher mean when he says that everything is meaningless? I mean, if you just take that on like a face value, you're kind of like, well, maybe that sounds a little bit like the French existential philosophers, or that sounds a little bit like uh, atheist materialist Bertrand Russell when he says this, that man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving, that his origin, his growth, his hopes and his fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms, that no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. And is, is this what Ecclesiastes is saying? Is it, is it advocating kind of the same perspective that Bertrand Russell takes that life is built on a foundation of unyielding despair? Does it mean, when he says that everything is meaningless, is he saying everything is worthless and not worth doing? Or does he mean something more like everything is transitory? Everything is merest breath. Everything will pass away. And I think it's extremely helpful, just uh, looking at the whole book, I think it's extremely helpful to read this word as fleeting, to read it as temporary. And so when he says everything is meaningless, I, I think that it doesn't necessarily mean that life isn't worth doing. Rather, what he's saying, he's saying that life is short and temporary. Life is fleeting, like a breath, <sighs> merest breath, here today and gone tomorrow. Okay, and we're going to hit another major theme uh, in the book, which is verse 3. And that is the question of what profit is there? What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And, and this is a bit of a rhetorical question that's being asked here, right? And it's pointed to the fact that there is no profit under the sun. If there is no lasting meaning, if everything is fleeting, if everything will eventually be gone, then how could there be profit to labor for? How could you get anything? I mean, you spend your life working and working, and what do you have to show for it at the end when death comes? Uh, nothing. You leave the same way that you came. 
Um, if you're familiar with the words of Jesus, you're going to note that Jesus actually uses some similar language here. He asks a similar question. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And just a quick aside, one of the things I love about this book, and maybe you're starting to sense it, is that there's a lot of emotion in it, right? It feels like on some level, this is something that the teacher has wrestled and is wrestling through. Um, he's honestly and he's openly engaging with these emotions and these questions and he's wrestling with them and he feels the pain and he feels kind of the existential crisis happening. Um, and he, ex he experiences the pain. He experiences the anxiety. He's feeling it. This isn't just an emotional or sorry, this isn't just an intellectual exercise for him. This is something visceral, something that he feels, something that he fights, something that he explores through. And he's now going to go on to explain exactly what he means when he says that everything is meaningless and specifically why humans see no profit under the sun. And uh, so us, we're sitting here kind of as observers, right? And if you were listening to this kind of in like a lecture hall and you picture him speaking and you're in a lecture hall and you're sitting there and you just heard him make these statements, one of the things that you might say in response to this would be like, well, you know, I don't really need profit. You know, I just want to leave the world a better place. And I think a lot of people would actually probably answer this way similarly. I think Bertrand Russell would probably answer similarly. You know, I just want to do some good. I don't necessarily have to have profit, but I just want to contribute to the goodness of the world. I want to bring something good into the world. I want to leave this a better place than it was when I got here. And I think the teacher is kind of anticipating you here. And so this is what he says. He says, generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. What he says, he says, we spend our lives running around and doing things. Um, you can talk to my wife. She's developed a great chore system by which she can kind of keep track and, and tabs on the things I'm working on. She can add more. It's a never-ending chore list. It's a great idea if you want to talk to her. She can help you out. But we, just in general, are busy people, right? And in the midst of apparent activity, the earth remains the same. We can spend our whole life working, but the earth continues turning as it always had. We leave no lasting impact. You know, maybe we hope to change the world for better, but there is this ceaseless making and unmaking that happens in history. The earth remains the same. There's activity. There's lots of it, but this activity just disguises sameness. That's, that's a lot of work to not achieve anything. So many fine beginnings circle back. So many journeys end where they began. And he's going to jump to a couple illustrations to explain what he means. And so he's going to say this. He's going to say, the sun rises and the sun sets and then hurries back to where it rises again. Continuous, unchanged, repetitive, monotony. The wind it blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round and round and round and round and round. It goes ever returning on its course. Apparent activity disguising sameness. Much action with little consequence. There's kind of a sense of being stuck in a rut. And the last illustration of this principle of ceaseless action but futile change 
is in verse 7. He's going to say, All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. When you watch water, it seems like it's going somewhere, right? You sit and you watch it and you're like, Wow, you know, that lake should probably get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's just not the way it works. Um, The apparent changing of the waters of the earth are actually circling back to their point of origin, uh, changing nothing. Things appear to be changing, but are really staying the same. Uh, Coalette, the teacher, is saying all of our activity is futile. All of our doing and our striving, it really doesn't change anything. Maybe you're sensing a pessimistic tone here. And uh, chapter, uh, verse 8 is going to confirm that for you. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, or the ear its fill of hearing. All these things hold a mirror to the human experience under the sun. Um, our senses are fed and fed, but they're never satisfied, right? Eyes see constantly. There's always more to see. Ears are constantly hearing. There's always more to hear. It's, it seems to be beyond humans to have a sense of complete satisfaction that leads to closure. Our history turns back on itself. The journey goes on and we never arrive. And he's been talking a lot, just uh, these first eight verses, he's been talking a lot about activity in the present that is futile and doesn't take us anywhere. And I think this is, I mean, this is probably not a popular idea, right? Probably in the, the greater sense of culture. I mean, we like to think that we're making progress. We like to think that we're moving forward. And, and maybe that's morally, that we're developing morally. Maybe that's technologically, that our technology is going to become something. Uh, maybe that's politically. And the critic, right? The voice of the critic here in Ecclesiastes is, is cutting through that or attempting to undercut that entire thing. Um, and uh, he's going to turn to consider history in verses 9 and 10. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. He's saying the more things change, the more they stay the same. Nations rise and nations fall. Sure, inventions happen, but inventions have been happening since the beginning of history. Humanity remains the same. We develop morally in some areas because I believe there are moral absolutes, but he says, but we then regress in other areas. Political systems, they wax and they wane. I mean, where are the great governments of the past? Uh, What happened to them? They return to the dust. Um, And he was talking before about activity in the present that doesn't accomplish anything, right? The sun, the wind, the water. And he now notes the futility of history. It's not going anywhere, he says. Nations rise and nations fall and are lost to history. Like the earth in the present, history appears to change. But it actually stays the same. Nothing new ever happens. What appears new to people has happened before. Okay, well, you guys are feeling encouraged, right? Let's wrap this up with uh, verse 11. Uh, The last part of our section. So he's talked about the futility of present action. And then he's looked at history and the past, and he said he's proclaimed its meaninglessness, and now he looks forward to the future, right? Maybe we can be different than those who went before us. I mean, another possible response is you sit in the audience and you, you listen to him is you could say, 
well, at least we're working towards something. At least our future will be different. We'll learn from our past and that will be different. And uh, the critic speaks and he says, no one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Old things appear new because we've either forgotten or we're ignorant of our past. It reminds us that we should not expect anything different in the future. We will be forgotten by those that come after us. The generations that follow will be ignorant of who we are and what we're doing, just as we're ignorant of the millions and billions of people that have preceded us. Significance, lasting meaning under the sun is not to be located in the past, in the present, or in the future. It's all proclaimed merest breath, Havel. Okay, how are you guys feeling? You can type in the chat if you, if you want. I have a good morning, what a beautiful day for church. Yes, welcome. As we reflect on this piece of Ecclesiastes, right, what we're doing is we're kind of joining with the teacher. We're, uh, we're sitting with him and we're letting him kind of poke us with this sharp stick so that our illusions are dispelled. So that the things that we're maybe holding on to that we shouldn't, we're kind of, he's speaking with the voice of a critic and kind of cutting those things away. And we're joining with him as he reflects on the human experience. And, and basically, he says that these three things seem self-evident for the human experience. And these are kind of three interrelated themes that you're going to see here and then you're going to see moving into the future. He says, he says, number one, everything will fade. Nothing under the sun, sun is lasting. Everything is havel, right? Merest breath. And the essence of this is that everything that we know and everything that we can hold will eventually end. And this isn't um, some kind of like flicker on the face of reality. No, this is the sum total of our existence. Merest breath. Everything we see, taste, touch, handle, feel. It will be here today and it will be gone tomorrow. The things that we strive after for meaning and for purpose will eventually come to nothing. Everything will fade away. Everything will come to an end. Nothing that we do will last forever, but will eventually be subsumed by the void. Number two, reality is elusive. Reality resists our attempts to capture it, to control it, to grab hold of it and squeeze meaning out of it, to contain it. All of our attempts to grab hold of reality, all our attempts to seize control are empty and are grasping after the wind, right? The more that we attempt to dominate, the more that we attempt to control, the more that we attempt to squeeze and hold on to reality, the more that we feel the wind slip through our fingers. Time and chance happen to everyone. The world resists our attempts to control it. We are limited. We can only go so far. And number three, well, and I guess I should do this. Uh, there is no gain. Human achievement appears to be trivial and insignificant in the grand scheme of things, right? Human activity, when contrasted with the sheer size, the unrelenting presence of reality, uh, it seems that human beings are mere phantoms. There's all kinds of activities. But despite our activity, we cannot actually affect anything substantial. There is no profit to be had. Everything that we build breaks. 
everything that we create will be destroyed. No matter what we do, um, we will be forgotten by those who come after. No matter how much we fight to strive, or we fight and we strive, uh, and we work, the end result of it is nothing. Okay, so here's maybe where some questions start to bubble up, right? Thanks, Matt. Thanks, thanks, Coalette. Thanks for all these great, encouraging words. And I just want to say, maybe right here, I want to say that the author is not quick to give us the answers, right? He's not quick to kind of tip his cards to us. He's kind of inviting us into the journey. He's inviting us into the questions. He's kind of taking this sharp stick and he's poking it with, poking us with it. And, and I, I, I think the language of invitation here is something that's applicable. We're invited to sit with him, right? We're invited to look at the world. We're invited to hear these questions. We're invited to ask them. We're invited to sit with them because to sit with a question is so much better than just being given the answer. Um, I will say that maybe there's a hint at what his answers will be. When you look at verse 3, it's going to kind of qualify everything as saying, everything under the sun is meaningless. So there might be a hint there, but we'll talk more about that. Um, and just another, just another piece, and one of the beautiful things about this book, uh, he's relentless, yes, but I think that he's also consistent. He doesn't shy away from the consequences of his thoughts. He's willing to grab an idea and he's willing to chase it down. Um, and I think that there's so many people that uh, maybe that I know or that, you know, just a general cultural sense. I think that there's lots of people who would agree with that Bertrand Russell quote from before, right? This whole, you know, we can build our lives only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. <laughs> there's, I think, lots of people that assent to that or agree to that. But how do you, how do you live like that? What does that actually mean? What is the, uh, what is the follow through of having that as your foundation? What can you actually build on that? And I think I see just on like a large cultural pers perspective, I think there's a fear of staring into the void, lest the void stares back into you, right? There's kind of a, we don't think about those questions. Uh, we don't ask those questions. That's uncomfortable. So we don't, we don't go there. Um, I think sometimes what you see, I mean, we have a booming entertainment industry and I like being entertained, but I think that maybe in turning away from questions like this, one of the most effective ways to do that is to distract ourselves. And so, you know, if you're like me, you kind of move from a great novel to a great movie to hanging out with friends. It's just so much more comfortable and so much easier not to kind of dwell on this because this is depressing. Okay. Here, so here, maybe this is a pertinent question. Now that we're all hopeful and, and filled with positive thoughts, right? What are we supposed to do with that, this? Uh, and I think it's helpful just to remember that a lot of what is happening here is the dispelling of illusions, right? Humans are born to worship, meaning we're born to ascribe value to something. And we have to live that way. That's just, that's just how it's going to work. And, uh, you know, this is where you get your typical list, right, of things. It's like, okay, well, if that's not God, then, then maybe it's money. And if it's not money, then maybe it's fame or maybe it's reputation. And there's a whole list there that maybe you're familiar with. I, I could put the list there. But the point is that all of us, we fill our lives with various things that give us meaning, right? We, we live, we construct this kind of reality for ourselves, and then we, we almost like we, we create uh, importance and we create value and then we 
we lean into that. And the preacher, he kind of cuts through all these things, right? And he's cutting through these points and he's undercutting them. And he's saying, that really doesn't make sense or that's really not how it works or reality is quite a bit harder and, and more unrelenting than that. We shouldn't construct something false. So some of us are so caught up in chasing what we think is meaningful, right? So many of us, we live inside these social constructions and we think that they're important and we, we believe that they're important and so that we lean into them and at the end of the day, they really aren't, right? We spend our lives living and moving from distraction to distraction and we just don't take the time to think because looking into the void is uncomfortable. Um, we move from a great novel, right, to a great movie, to hanging out with friends, to going out to dinner, to sleeping, to working, and then we repeat it. And it's into this place that I think Ecclesiastes whispers, nothing lasts. Everything is merest breath. This too will come to pass. Um, that thing that you're finding joy and happiness in, yes, enjoy it, but it is fleeting. This thing will end. Don't give yourself so much to this thing that you pretend that it's not going to do that. This thing will end. Don't let yourself be caught up on it when it does disappear. Some of us really want to control our reality, um, right? Maybe we want to make sure that reality is not going to hurt us. And so we manipulate and we scheme and we make plans and we wrestle reality into a form that we like and that's going to protect us, you know, where we can't be hurt by circumstance. The storms of this world just kind of blow over us. And it's into this place, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes whispers, Reality is elusive. Seeking control is grasping after the wind. Time and chance happen to everyone. You will never be able to completely protect yourself. Um, instead of living in fear, let's kind of, let's position ourselves to be able to live in it in the best way possible. And uh, maybe some of us want to, I mean, I say some of us, and I'm included here, right? Some of us want to make a name for ourselves, right? We want to be immortalized. I want a statue of myself. That would be amazing. I want to write a novel and a book that's going to be talked about for a thousand years. That would be really cool. We want to write a beautiful piece of music that will be eternal in some sense, right? That will haunt people through the future. We want to survive into the future, and we want to carry on our legacy, we want to have a great legacy that affects and transforms this world for the good. And here Ecclesiastes whispers, there is no profit to be had. Human achievement, legacy, we will be forgotten. All of this will come to an end. Okay, well, great. So, so what? What can we do? Uh, good question. And Eventually in the book, we're actually going to see that he recommends some things. So that is, going to, that is going to come up. I'm hesitant to just move past these critiques too quickly because I think if we move past these too quickly and we don't let that sharp stick kind of poke us, then I think that we're not really letting it do its work. I think these questions are designed to do work on us, right? Sometimes we're people that are made uncomfortable by thinking along these lines. But sometimes it's the thing that makes us most uncomfortable, that those are the things that we most need to hear. And so these sharp critiques should be allowed to work on us and pop our bubbles where they should be popped. And so there's some questions here, right? What are we holding on to as supreme importance? What are we worshiping? Do we know that this too will end? Do we recognize the elusiveness of reality? 
Are we constantly striving and fighting for control? Or are we willing to kind of embrace life as it is? What are we striving after? What are we chasing? Are we trying to create profit of some sort where there's no profit to be had? And uh, I do want to make some positive points here, okay? And I think that we're justified in doing this. So I'm going to step outside of the book of Ecclesiastes, but I didn't want to end just there. I think it's important that that works on us, but I, I do kind of want to put an amendment uh, here at the end. And I think we're justified doing that because Ecclesiastes is part of the Bible and the Bible is a larger story. So I think I'm justified in doing this. But scripture is essentially this story of the immortal, all-powerful God, creator and sustainer of all things, and he breaks into our history to bring us back to himself. We're far from him, and he breaks in. He says, I will make things right. I will make it possible for you to be reunited with me. I will show you true justice, true goodness, true wholeness. I will let you live life as you were created to live, and I'll make that possible. Right? And so into our world filled with Havel, merest breath, God says, I will give you eternal life if you will have it. Into our world that is elusive and escapes control, he says, walk with me and I will give you lasting security and safety. You won't have to control your circumstances because I will hold you in the palm of my hand. I will make all things work together for the good of those who love me. Into a world that we throw all of our effort, all of our achievement into this dark, cold, empty void. God says, you can be part of building something eternal. You can be part of building the kingdom of God right here, right now. You can take my hand. You can be part of building something lasting, something eternal, something that is not Havel, something that is not Mira's breath, something grand, something beautiful, something earth-shattering, something that you were made for that will last into eternity. Simply come back to me, walk with me, listen to me, and we will bring the kingdom of God here in Carlton Place, in Almont, in Smith Falls, in this area. And light, life, goodness, justice, mercy, and hope will be our eternal legacy. And so I think with that I'll pray, and then we have another song, is it? So let me just pray quick and then. Yeah, Father, I guess we, um, yeah, we, we kind of encounter this piece of scripture and we come to you with hands open and we say, um, we want to know you more than we want comfort. And so please, would you, we want to know what's true. We want to know what's real. We want to know what's good. Would you poke us with that sharp stick wherever bubbles need to be popped? Um, for those who uh, don't know you or come at this and they wouldn't consider themselves a Christian, I just pray that you would speak. Would you meet? Would you answer their questions? Would you, um, would you draw them to yourself? And would that just be something obvious, not something that they feel like, oh, I have to force myself to believe this or something? No. Would you? Would you just? Re, would your reality be present with them? Would you speak to them? Would you invite them into all life and goodness? And uh, for those who who do know you, and I guess I'd count myself among that. Uh, we pray 
yeah, just poke us where we need to be poked. Um, and even if that's uncomfortable, would you just bring us to a place where we know you more and where we're better representatives of you, where we walk more fully with your spirit, uh, where we can bring light and hope and goodness and life to this world, where we can represent you well. We love you, our God, and just say thank you. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.